Case is submitted. We'll hear argument next to number 98-1991, Public Lands Council versus Bruce Babbitt. Mr. Bishop. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the preference amount of forage adjudicated under the Taylor Grazing Act as necessary to the proper use of a permittee's base property must be adequately safeguarded by the Secretary. That's our contention. Mr. Bishop, I, I think you've described, and I think perhaps your opponents have described, the proceeding you've brought here as a, quote, facial attack, close quote, on the Secretary's regulations that, that, are, that are challenged. And your, your opponents say, well, you, uh, except in a First Amendment case, you can't bring a, a, face, a facial challenge. Uh, and are you using the term facial challenge in the same sense we use it in First Amendment jurisprudence? That is that you can challenge a law even though it doesn't affect you adversely, if it affects someone else adversely? Uh, if in all applications the regulation is unlawful because it is not authorized by the statute, uh, then it is facially invalid. And our position is that — And it affects you adversely automatically. And it affects you adversely automatically. That's right. Uh, our position is that uh, we are entitled to the protection, the adequate safeguarding of uh, adjudicated uh, forage, and that by eliminating adjudicated forage from the regulations, it's no longer possible for the Secretary to safeguard it. But, in other Council, words, I never saw the word adjudicated forage used in any regulation. It seems to be a term that you constantly use, but show me what regulation refers to adjudicated forage. It doesn't appear in the the statute. Let me start with the statute. It doesn't appear in the statute uh, in terms, but the concept is clearly in the Taylor Grazing Act. Um, Congress recognized that in designating grazing districts, uh, they will be oversubscribed. Uh, It contemplated a process in which the Secretary would determine uh, who would be able to graze in those districts, and it set out some parameters. And the most important one in Section 3 of the Grazing Act says preference shall be given in the issuance of grazing permits for persons who have leased well, property. Do, here's, we, here's where, the, Mr. Bishop, where do we find Section 3? In the uh, appendix to the petition, uh, Your Honor, on page 103, uh, to 104A, the language I'm reading from is 104. Um, is, uh, Thank you. And whereabouts on page 104? Preference shall be given in the issuance of grazing permits to people with base property as may be necessary to permit the proper use of that base property. Uh, there is no plausible way uh, to read the as necessary clause except as a reference to an amount of forage. And the the way that this worked was that the base ranch could support a certain number of livestock for part of the year. To enable that property to be used, uh, it was necessary for the rancher to have access to enough forage on the range to support the uh, livestock for the rest of the year. Our position is that the — I'm sorry — well, what I don't understand is you, you acknowledge that it's within the power of the Secretary to reduce you below that. Oh, absolutely, uh, Justice Scalia. So then I don't understand what you're asking for. What, what has the Secretary deprived you of that you want to be given? You, you don't assert any right to this. Uh, to, to, to this uh, uh, we, we do assert the, rights to the adjudicated amount, preference amount of forage. Now, our argument is not about freezing actual grazing use at the levels that the Secretary adjudicated after 1934, but there are things that the preference amount does for us. And just let me mention those. Uh, what does it do? The... Um, First of all, the preference amount staked the permittee's claim to more forage if it became available. Now, we have, no, we have no dispute that the active use can be reduced below the preference amount. In fact, when the preference was first adjudicated, uh, the active use was often below the preference amount right from the beginning. We have no dispute that the preference itself uh, 
can be re-adjudicated, and we have no dispute that the grazing district can be re-adjudicated and, uh, and the use given over to something else. But as long as the land is designated as a grazing district, then my preference gives me a claim to more forage if it becomes available. So under the range code, um, 4110.31, uh, for example, which is at uh, page 9a to 10a of the addendum to the blue brief, Page permanent page what, Mr. Uh, 9A 10A of the blue brief. Thank you. Uh, and this is reflected in earlier versions of the range code as well in, in different forms. But permanent increases in forage were first allocated to existing permittees up to the preference amount. And if you look back to the 1942 code, the language is that uh, increases in carrying capacity will be participated in uh, by existing permittees to the extent of their respective qualifications. But that idea has always been in there. Second, and these are all connected, where, the preference where, where, where was that language that you just quoted? Additions to? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking on 9A. I, I, I don't see it. I want to underline significant passages if I can. What, what section additional, uh, are you B, reading additional, from? Uh, this is 410.3. 1B, additional forage available on a sustained yield basis shall be first apportioned in satisfaction of grazing preferences. Well, if, if I understand what you're saying, you're saying, well, we had claims to these things. Uh, and and you, 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 I accept that. You did have a claim, and you had a procedure to try to perfect that claim. But there is no member of your association that I understand, as I understand it, who at this time can say, I had a right claim that was cut off. They're simply saying that if the old regs had been left in place, I might have had a claim to pursue if, if further forage had, uh, land had become available. Uh, and, and that claim as such is gone, as I understand it. But I do not understand that any particular member of your association can show right now that he is going to be worse off in the sense of having less forage right at any given time under the new regulation as distinct from the old regulation. Am I wrong in that? Uh, well, this is, it's a facial challenge, Your Honor. Uh, you're right in, in the sense that uh, we don't have in this record a history of the application of the 1995 regulations. And in fact, while the litigation has been pending, and particularly because we won in the district court, uh, the uh, agency really hasn't been doing anything under the 1995 regulations. But, but I thought your argument was that everyone in your association Every, was worse off. Everyone that I is don't worse see. off. Everyone is worse off because prior to 1995, we had a uh, we had in our permits the preference amount was listed in the permit. Every single permit issued from 1934 until 1995 listed the adjudicated right. amount of no, forage I, I labeled. I mean to preference. cut you off, but I think you have made that clear. But so far as the forage which you are entitled to enjoy at any given moment, now or a year from now, as I understand it, you can't say that any member of your association is going to be worse off a year from now under the new regs uh, than, than he would have been under the old ones. Well, is that we, correct? We can say that we have no, we will have no entitlement to having our But that wasn't my question. My, my question is, what, what forage are you out there actually exercising or being entitled to the benefit of? And as I understand it, you can't say that you will be worse off a year from now under the new regs than you were a year ago or whatever in well, we, the old Well, we can't regs. say that, and that's no. not the nature of our challenge. The nature of our challenge is a facial challenge. To I thought you are a lot worse off, that you can't get lending. We are, well, we, we are — I we thought are, that all — we have a whole brief here saying uh, there used to be a system. And the system was you have a 1,000 grazing acres, and what you do is you give you 500 cows, him 300 cows, her 200 cows, and that's it. 500, 300, 200. Now, we have every right in the world to cut it to 500. But if we do, it's you 250, you 150, you 100. So you keep the same proportion. Is that right? Yes. Uh, that's what it used to be. Lend now they changed it. Right. Am I right? Lenders have taken into account the preference amount of forage, and they've taken. So, am, am I right as to how I describe it? Try to answer the question. That's, that's right. Okay. Then you're saying that the change from the new to the old one means lenders won't lend you as much money. Right. Okay. That, now, my next question is this. I have three here that were related. I've gotten two out. The third one is I would have thought you might have a great claim 
on the ground that an agency has to stick to the system that it has unless it explains why it's changed. All right? And I look for the explanation, a little hard for me to find it. But I take it you have not made that claim in this Court. Rather, you are arguing that the statute forbids them to do it, and so it seems to me you've waived your administrative law claim. You haven't raised it. And the statutory claim, I cannot imagine why. If on day one they had adopted their new system, the statute would say you can't. Justice Breyer, I I hope we haven't waived the administrative law claim. I I don't see here anywhere that you're talking about. I looked at the the, the question you presented. And the question is whether the Secretary of the Interior exceeded his authority under the Taylor Grazing Act, the Federal Land Policy and Management Act, and the Public Rangeman Lands Improvement Act, uh, the end when he the promulgated the 94 regulations. That sounds to me like the issue you raise, and that's the one you state, you talk about it being on its face, etc., is the statute prohibits the Secretary from issuing regulations set to. And on that one, this is I'm, a sh- I'm puzzled. On the first one, that's what I'd like you to address. It, this is a Chevron stage one. Challenge. See Chevron. I didn't see the relevant cases. Uh, well, we we do cite Chevron in the brief. It's a it's a Chevron stage Mr. one. Bishop, I think analysis. it's not Chevron that Justice Breyer is raising. It's the State Farm question, which you don't raise until you get to this court. I don't know. You didn't make this a State Farm case at all below. Well, we we have always argued, uh, Justice Ginsburg, that the Secretary lacks the authority under plain statutory language. Uh, and also because uh, there has been a consistent administrative interpretation for 60 years. And did you, because did co- you argue that this state, that state farm controls that the Secretary didn't give an adequate explanation of changing from one system to another? Uh, we did argue that below. In our brief in this case, we decided that the uh, argument to, uh, to press is the, what we believe is the strongest argument, that there is no conceivable basis in the uh, in the statute. So you left that other one out we did, we, Well, we have cited in, a, in the what, what I would hope that has preserved that issue. If someone is inclined to go that way, is that at the end of our brief we did say that under Chevron stage two, uh, we don't think that uh, there's an, an adequate justification. I don't see what Chevron stage two has to do with it. I see what State Farm has to do with it. That's the agency has to provide a good reason for changing its mind in an important matter. But, but I don't see what Chevron stage two has to do with it. Well, what we have, I mean, the, 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 our argument, Your Honor, is that the statute requires this. The Secretary's been doing it for a long time, that Congress revisited this area without changing the Secretary's regulations, that Congress in 1993 uh, specifically refused to enact uh, these regulations when the administration asked them to, and that there has been no expl- — certainly that there has been no explanation of, uh, as to why — Mr. Bishop, uh, I'm very puzzled by your Congress didn't enact specifically when you are faced with something that, with the, with the bill, the grazing rights bill, that would have said specifically, these are rights that you preserve. But Congress didn't enact that. And it seems to me that that, what Congress didn't do in 1946 and 1953 is much more relevant than what you're urging about attack on to an appropriations bill. Well, no, well, Congress, Congress didn't need to do that because it had already provided in the Taylor Grazing Act that uh, adjudicated privileges, that uh, grazing privileges, including, including this adjudicated amount of forage, uh, should be adequately safeguarded. And Congress was concerned that that not uh, ripen into a right to the to the land, which is why the no right title or interest that the court addressed in Fuller uh, is uh, is in there. But uh, Congress did, in saying that necessary adjudicated necessary amounts of forage should be adequately safeguarded, uh, adequately safeguarded, intend that the secretary continue to recognise and provide protection for uh, those forage amounts. So. But the ma- amounts you conceded, the actual amounts that you can use, the Secretary not only can but must. It doesn't have — the Secretary must adjust based Secretary on other conditions of the land? The, the, uh, the Secretary must adjust that. And if I can just get back to Scali- uh, Justice Scalia's initial question, I'd just like to finish my list of what it is that 
that, w- that we think we do get from the preference. I mean, first of all, we get the claim to additional permanent forage when it becomes available. The preference amount has always been the baseline for measuring suspended use. And the permit, every permit, preference, aligned for preference, aligned for suspended use, aligned for active use, uh, the suspended amount is listed, and that's the difference between uh, active use and the preference mm-hmm. amount, and it becomes available under the regulations to the permittees does, does if the forage is increased. Does this claim stand independently of the adequately safeguard language in the statute? The, these are uh, — I'm not sure I understand. Well, the, uh, part, part of your argument, as I understand it, is that the statute requires the Secretary to adequately safeguard right these preferences. And now you've gone over all the things that you think a preference uh, — conveys to your clients. Uh, is that a separate point, or is that just well, in well, — wait till yeah. I finish my question, will you? Is that a separate point, or is it just something that bears on the adequately safeguard? I think that those are ways in which the Secretary has adequately safeguarded the preference uh, in the past. Now, I'm not suggesting that uh, — all of those in their detailed uh, ways they're set out in the regulations necessary, necessarily have to continue. I think that adequately safeguarded, you know, this doesn't have a, a determinate meaning, but it clearly does mean that the Secretary must continue to recognize and deal with the, um, uh, the, uh, the preference. So if I can give one other example, the preference amount establishes claims relative to the uh, claims to forage of a permittee's neighbors on the allotment and to new applicants. Uh, So it prevents the BLM from shifting AUMs at will among permittees and applicants. And the McNeil against Seton case, which we cited in our briefs as an example of of that, where the Secretary tried to give uh, forage to a new applicant when there were people with adjudicated privileges already on the range who weren't raising up to the preference amount. And the court said you can't do that. I understand that they couldn't do that under the present regulation either, because they do say they protect their priority over other rival applicants, don't they? Well, the — Am I right about that? You're right, but in, you're right in part, uh, Justice Stevens. You're right that uh, once the permitted use is established, that there are restrictions on how it can be changed. You are wrong in the sense that there is no correlation between permitted use, which refers only to uh, the land use plan, forage uh, as, uh, uh, as, as permitted by the land use plan, and has no bearing whatsoever on the adjudicated preference amounts that were previously determined by the Secretary. A land use plan, which is a permitted use now, is the land allocated by the Secretary under a land use plan. A land use plan operates at a high level of generality. It does not allocate forage to specific permittees any more than the um, Forest Service land use plan that this considered in Ohio Forestry Association uh, permitted the cutting down of trees. Uh, it's the BLM operating under the grazing regulations that actually allocates forage to individual permittees, and it's left a lot of leeway uh, by the land use plan. Under the current rules, the permitted use rule will allow the Secretary to set the uh, permitted use uh, essentially uh, in his discretion. Well, without in a sense, that's true already. Um, the Secretary has felt free to lower the number of cattle, for instance, to be grazed on a particular piece of land for some time. Uh, are you talking about active active use, Justice mm-hmm. O'Connor? Yes. Uh, th- through active use, that is true, um, and and we have no objection to that. The land use plans clearly require that the that on an individualized basis, <coughs> and a site using a site specific analysis, uh, that active use be varied according to the conditions. Uh, our claim is that the preference itself, uh, the preference amount that the Secretary has recognized for 60 years, which is always higher than the active use and which gives us certain claims, has to be recognized. What what claims would it give you? Give me an example, a concrete example, Uh, of how you would be better off if you had this uh, supplemental preference, which 
he didn't always give you in the past anyway. Uh, McNeil is an example. A new applicant comes in okay. and says, uh, I want to, I've, I've, uh, I, I, uh, I've got a ranching operation. I'm just uh, setting one up, bought some land, setting up a ranching operation. I want to get forage on the range here. Uh, that range is already fully allocated by adjudication. The preference amounts are established. No one is grazing up to their preference amount. Everyone's active use is below the preference amount. The uh, requirement that the preference amount establish a, a, a first choice, if you like, to obtain uh, available uh, forage on the range means that you can't keep inviting people in to reduce my active use to give it to somebody else. You can't give it to my neighbor. You can't give it to a new applicant. Uh, if there is a... Um, Suspended, suspended use is another example. Suspended use, the difference between the preference amount and active use. Uh, the suspended use is available, held available, for the uh, permittee to use if conditions improve on the range and there is more forage. How often well, is that a reality, that the, the active use uh, gets boosted up? That, you know, I don't, I don't have percentage figures, and I don't think we or the government have any. But uh, range improvements, for example, if you, if you read the, uh, um, the PRIA, the, 19, the uh, Public Rangelands Improvement Act, uh, one of, a lot of the legislative history there and the, the, uh, the, the, the introductory purposes of the Act explain how range improvements, water improvements, can uh, open up new parts of the range that weren't previously available for grazing because the livestock had no water there. Or they can... Um, uh, uh, and and uh, uh, in addition, um, seeding, uh, chaining, things that can be done to the land to improve its condition, those sorts of improvements. Well, even if it improved, do you, is it true that even under the old system, the secretary perhaps wouldn't have to go up to the full original adjudicated use? The secretary could say, yes, things are better, and we're going to increase the active use by so many head. That's right, Justice O'Connor. There's no uh, — no one realistically thinks that, that the, uh, the, the preference amounts will ever be maintained over a long period of time. In fact, the preferences were re-adjudicated in the 1950s and 60s to reduce you know, the I, I can picture amount. lots of as-applied challenges <laughs> — uh, under this new scheme, but what we're struggling with is how to deal with it on the facial basis and without regard to um, consideration of whether it was just arbitrary um, under an administrative analysis. Well, I mean, my, my argument is, uh, is this, that the statute, and look at the history since the statute was passed, uh, mandates that preference amounts of forage uh, be adequately safeguarded. The word adequately safeguarded ceases to mean anything at all if the preference amounts are abolished, and that is what the 1995 rules do. Well, why, why do they do that? In, in I'm sorry. Good. You say that that theoretical amount gave you an absolute right if you had five, uh, uh, five uh, 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 livestock uh, owners whose, whose total preference amount uh, adds up to 100 percent of, of a particular grazing area, it, in effect, even, even though they weren't using the whole 100 percent, even though they were only using 80 percent, that was the active preference, okay? Nonetheless, the inactive preference, what's the? Suspended use. The suspended preference would give them an absolute right to exclude a sixth, uh, a, a sixth uh, uh, livestock uh, owner from coming in, um, or not? Well, if not, then I don't know what the preference means. The, the, the preference has to be adequately safeguarded. Uh, up to this point, the Secretary has interpreted that to mean that you have to take account of that preference, and uh, on a site-specific basis, you, there may be a particular reason on a site-specific uh, individualized basis to think that you shouldn't get the increased preference amount. I'm not talking about giving you an increased preference amount. And I am I'm talking about an area where when you take the, the total preference amount, it's 100 percent used. You can, 
you do have an absolute right to exclude a new life, uh, a new grazer. Uh, you have an, a, an absolute right to exclude a new grazer. You may not have an absolute right to uh, to get all of that hundred that forest graze hundred percent. But but he can't give it to somebody else. He can't give it to someone else while you now he, that, he can't give it to someone else without doing certain other things. There are other things that could be done. Always on an individualized basis, the secretary can reduce. The, um, uh, can reduce the preference. The preference amount. Uh, can uh, reduce active use. Can even take the land out of a grazing district altogether. But do we know that under the new regulation that the secretary would not be able to do precisely the same thing and say I've got five people in this yes, act and a six coming in and given the history I'm not going to let the six one in. Yes, sir. There's no such thing as, a, as as an adjudicated preference amount of forage anymore. I, if I can reserve the remainder of my time. Very well, Mr. Bishop. Mr. Needler, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Petitioners, as has been pointed out, have chosen to bring a facial challenge to these regulations, and they may succeed on a facial challenge only if they can show that there is no set of circumstances in which the regulations would be valid. They have fallen far short of doing that. In fact, the regulations reflect a reasonable interpretation of the Taylor Grazing Act, the uh, FLIPMA, the Federal Land Policy Management Act, and the Public Rangelands Improvement Act, and they fall well within the broad discretion that Congress necessarily conferred on the Secretary to manage the vast public domain for multiple use and sustained use. Uh, well, if you're right, if you're right on your the first clause of, of your sentence, that if they if it can be shown that this is permissible in any conceivable situation, then you don't even have to get to the other parts of your, of your, of your sentence, that it was, it was a permissible under the statute, broad, dis, broad discretion, that sort of thing. Right. So do you, you, you take the position that all you have to show is that perhaps in at least one or two instances this, this does not uh, respond to the challenge, therefore that's good enough? Yes, in a facial challenge, we think that's right. But, but, but I, w- I would like to respond because we think these regulations are, are valid across uh, the board. There may be individual, individual situations in which a particular permittee may have his active use cut back or may, but, during the term of the permit, may, may but be in. If, if, if you're right on your, on your first point, uh, a court opinion would never get to the others. Uh, no, I mean, that, that, uh, of course, the court could write the opinion as it chose, and I, could I suppose write it in Roman numerals. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and can I can I just ask about your first point? I I, I take it the uh, validity in any circumstances doctrine is is drawn from what our Salerno case, right. um, which involves facial attacks on on statutes, often under the Constitution. Uh, isn't this an APA statute that the regulation just doesn't uh, implement the statutory design? Yes, but I, th- I think that is essentially. Have, have we said uh, that the Salerno rule applies to APA challenges uh, to the uh, regulations that do not properly implement a statute? Uh, if, if, if the claim is that the regulation is completely beyond the statutory authority, no, that, that is true. Have we but said th- that? In a decision? No, no, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. As, as, I, as far as I know, if, if the claim is that the, that the regulation would be beyond the Secretary's authority in all of its applications, but, but uh, as I understand Petitioner's fundamental point, it, it is that in the land use planning process, which is based on principles of multiple use, that the, that the grazing that they have previously been permitted to engage in will not be adequately respected or taken into account or weighed into the, into the balance. That is essentially a, a challenge to the broad land use planning that FLIPMA itself I, I thought for their challenge was very, very specific. I thought, as I understood it, that there was an old system. And the old system said if there are three ranchers and a thousand acres, the division 500, 300, 200 means the following. You cut it back to 500 acres. Okay. We divide it, 250, 150, 100. That's definite. You increase it by 50 acres. Those new 50 acres have to be apportioned in precisely the same proportion. And if a third or fourth rancher come in, comes in, he must get zero. Must. In all circumstances. And if one of those existing ranchers tries to take one acre more than his proportionate share, he cannot get it in no circumstance. That's the old system. And on that system, they can get financing. Then there is a new system 
which more or less agrees you have total right to control the amount of grazing, but as to apportionment and new ranchers, it's up for grabs. And that, it seems to me, is what they're challenging. Right. And that is simply not true. Uh, and I would like to refer to the Court. Uh, what is not true? That, that, the, that, the, that they're not challenging No, no, that? no. Excuse me. That the, that the new regulations do not, uh, do not provide for an apportionment if there's an increase in, in grazing. And that's the example. No, they, he doesn't say it doesn't provide for an apportionment. What he says is it isn't clear that the fourth rancher who comes in gets zero, it, 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 and it, it isn't clear that the old apportionment, the new apportionment, is done in precisely the same proportions. Okay. Uh, if, if I may respond in, on, in two points. First, what they are describing is a prior regulatory regime, not something right. that the statute that's, requires. That's correct. So to the extent that they are claiming it, some inconsistency with the statute, that's not this claim. That's this correct. Is, this, and uh, with respect to the, the new grazer coming in, the, the, those regulations are, as uh, were pointed out, in in Regulation 4110.3-1. These are 90, the 94 regulations. They are essentially unchanged, and that's the point I wanted to make. The, uh, the prior regulations appear at 9A of the uh, appendix to the brief, addendum to the brief, uh, 4110, excuse me, uh, 0.3-1, increasing active use. The, uh, the, excuse me, those are the prior regulations. The 1995 regulations appear on page 123 of the petition appendix. And the title has just been changed to increasing permitted use rather than in increasing active use. But the force of the regulations We're on 125A. 123A of the petition 123, And if you put them side by side, there is actually uh, essentially no change in the allocation of additional forage as it becomes available. And the same is correspondingly true with respect to a decrease in forage. Those regulations uh, say, for example, if, if we look at the petition appendix under the, under the current regulation on 123A, uh, additional forage may be apportioned to qualified applicants. Paragraph A is, is, is essentially irrelevant. That's temporary, temporarily available livestock grazing. B is additional forage available on a sustained yield basis. Well, I, I, underst I understood that uh, the, the basic argument was that uh, None of this need to come about because the land use program that the Secretary provided for could, could negate it. And I thought I read the Tenth Circuit opinion, which, which upheld the program, as, as re reading that way, too. The, I, think the, I thought the Tenth Circuit said, we just, uh, nothing is ripe here. Uh, not that this is just the, the same old regime. Well, with, uh, I think the Tenth Circuit may have had that sense, but I think it is important to, to look at the fact that existing uh, uh, people holding existing permits under the priorities for apportioning this, they will first be, if additional forage becomes available, uh, any historical suspended use that, that was referred to here will be, will be given to the ranchers who, are al who already have suspended use. But not a former adjudicated. No, it, it is. Use. That is essentially what it is, because the, the, the current permits carry forward uh, the, the amount of, of, uh, of uh, the number of AUMs that a person has been able to uh, graze under a permit. And the new permitted use regulation requires that the number of AUMs be specified in the permit. That has not changed. And, and you insist that uh, henceforth the permits that are given will still reflect the original adjudicated yes, unless they unless they are changed because what and, and this 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 comes about as a, as a, essentially as a matter of the way the administrative process works if somebody has an existing permit for let's say 100 AUMs on a particular parcel of land and it comes time to renew the permit and and the BLM is going to say no it should only be 80 well, the, the, the challenge will arise by comparing what it used to be with what it now is, and therefore, uh, under the APA, essentially require the, the BLM local officer to explain why the conditions on the range require uh, a, a lessening of the, of the grazing that will be allowed. And, in fact, the regulations at 4160, uh, the procedural regulations, require the regional official to give a decision to explain why there will be a, a reduction. You can also reduce the, uh, the suspended use, can't you, if you want to? Yes. Uh, only, only on renewal? No, suspended use, suspended, uh, suspended use could be reduced uh, under the land use plan, for example, if, there was, if, the, if the land use plan was revised during the course of the of — the No, I mean under, under the old system, never, never mind under the current, 
No, okay. uh, suspended use was not reduced. What would happen is active use would be put into a suspended category if the range could if the, if the range could accommodate less grazing that had been tre- previously been but true. Now, the statute, if, if your question is whether the statute would have allowed the Secretary to reduce suspended use, the answer is absolutely. But the, but the regulations would not? No, the, regu- the regulations the regulations essentially worked out an accounting system to, to regulate, to, to, to ascertain how much uh, grazing would be permitted year to year. And over time, as the amount of active grazing went down, AUMs were put into suspended use. But as petitioners have acknowledged, it's not realistic to think that those historical uses are going to get up to what they had been. And one of the purposes of the Secretary's new approach here, not to allow new suspended uh, the next time there's a, re- a permanent, a more or less long-term reduction to put that into the suspended use category, is that it doesn't reflect reality. It's well, better to have the, the system reflect the present-day reality of what the active grazing in. Lenders can, will know what the active graze, the permitted use under the permit is. The rancher will know what the permitted use under the permit is. Those involved in the land use plan, planning and BLM and the public will know not Paper cows put in an, into a suspended use account, but what is actually going on? Oh, but that's on their the objection. I think that's their objection, and they say that the. And when I read the comments in the, uh, you know, the rulemaking, to look, they raised the objection, and they said that the change is going to be that this suspended use will disappear, and instead their potential future right, which may never come about, will depend on the land use plan. And the response to that, I think, was the land use plan allows adjustment of the AUM amount, yes, which I does. took it as saying they're right about that change. And then you said, or you didn't, but the uh, Labor uh, Interior Department, where changes in the situation are major, it may be necessary to amend the land use plan, thus reinitiating the process. And I wasn't quite sure what that meant. But what they say, the problem is that the financiers aren't quite sure either. And well, therefore, they won't give us you, — you may say this is all going to work out fine, but we go to the bank and, and we discover that we can't borrow the money. And the reason we can't borrow the money is that whereas previously we had certainty about what would happen to me if suddenly for some reason the amount that was going to be forged went up, there's no longer that certainty. It depends upon some future land use plan and some future testimony, and we can't get a hold of it. Now, now what's is, — am I right about what they're saying? Or if I am, is that what is true? And I, I think you're right about what they're saying, but they're, they're wrong, and, and I'd, I'd like to respond in, in two points. One is they're wrong about the prior regime, and they're also wrong about the change that happened. In 1978, which was the same year that, the, that this definition of grazing preference was put into the regulations, which was the first time preference was in the regulations that had the number of AUMs in the concept of preference. In that very same year, the regulations implementing FLIPMA, which had just been enacted and required land use plans on all uh, on, on all grazing lands as well as other lands administered by, by BLM, specifically provided for example that forage will not even be made available for livestock grazing. And when we talk about forage becoming available, it means for livestock grazing. If there's additional forage, it might be for wildlife. It might be for something else. Those regulations in 1978 said uh, that they were dealing only with the uh, use of forage that is available after forage is allocated to other uses under the land use plan. They also made clear that the amount of — that the plan could be amended, that the amount of active use could be reduced. Well, of in- course, you can understand how that explanation causes concern, because the Taylor Grazing Act did contemplate that the original uh, adjudication would allocate um, grazing permits based on the land base and the water rights of the applicants for grazing, and that, that that would be adequately safeguarded. That privilege would be adequately safeguarded. Now we come along with land use plans for multiple purposes, and there is nothing in that to indicate that the grazing preferences will be adequately safeguarded. Okay, if I mean, I, they if can be just, you know, off for other purposes. Okay. Uh, for, first of all, the, the uh, FLIPMA requires that the land use plans be done. So if petitioners have a quarrel with that, with that aspect <coughs> of, the, of the sensible use of the domain, that, that, that is something that Congress well, requires. Well, it does, but it also contained a, a clause that indicated that the Taylor Grazing Act was not to be superseded. Right. But the, the essential point about the land use planning under FLIPMA is that it, that it is a way of carrying out authority that the Secretary had under the Taylor Grazing Act to begin with. The Taylor Grazing Act was not a livestock maximization statute itself. 
itself. The Taylor Grazing Act was passed at a time when the public domain, the public rangelands were in very bad shape because of overgrazing, because of drought. Uh, and a principal purpose of the Taylor Grazing Act itself in fact, if you look at the purposes of, the, of, of grazing districts that are set forth in, in, uh, in Section uh, 2 of the Taylor Grazing Act on page uh, 103, the, the maintenance of the livestock industry is not, I'm sorry, on 103A of the petition appendix. Uh, it refers to such things as to regulate the occupancy and use, to preserve the land and its resources from destruction, and to provide for orderly use, improvement, and development of the range. This was a range restoration act as well as a, as a regulation of Yes, but, but Section 3 did say preference shall be given in the issuance of grazing permits to those who are landowners engaged in the livestock business necessary to permit the proper use of lands, water rights owned. Right. occupied and used by them, and that, that that will be adequately safeguarded. Now, that's the heart of their claim, as I understand it. Yes, and and, and that this subsequent um, Federal Land Policy and Management Act, uh, in its contemplation and requirement of land use plans, uh, may not uh, be in accord with that Taylor Grazing Act provision. Well, um Petitioners have said that they understand that the, that the Secretary can alter preference rights. Yes. So, so whatever the initial adjudication was, in, and even in the early years, it changed from year to year. So the initial, the initial preference rights that were established are an implementation of very broad language. The Secretary didn't even have to do that in the way in which he did. But, but the more fundamental point is that preference, as used in Sentence 3 of the, uh, Section 3 of the Taylor Grazing Act on page 104A, it's, it talks about who among qualified applicants for grazing permits will be given a preference. Yes. Uh, it's, it's in terms of a, whatever grazing is made available, uh, how does it get apportioned among people uh, based, and there were complicated questions of somebody who was using the public rangeland before 1934 and how much grazing were they doing. It was essentially a way to make an equitable portion of the land in 1934. But what this sentence does not answer is how much grazing will be made available in the first place. This only tells you what to, how to apportion and even that is in broad discretion, but how to apportion what, what grazing is made available. And that is made clear if you look at the next sentence, which begins uh, in the middle of page 104A. It says, such permits shall be for a period of not less than 10 years, subject to the preference right of the permittees to renewal in the discretion of the Secretary. Even the renewal, whether to renew a permit, was in the discretion of the Secretary. If the Secretary chose to renew the permit, then the, then the prior right, holder so is your, 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 your response is that they should go talk to their banks, and they should say, look, these paper cows never meant that much. I mean, after all, they could have changed the forage. They could have brought in new people. Cut the, they could have done all kinds of and, things. And, and, and today they've promised in this commentary that if there's a major change in reality, they're going to try to do something about it. I mean, so they, they've said it isn't going to make that much change in the if future. If it's a major change for improvement and increased grazing or decreased grazing. But, but, but am I right in thinking of how to, how to look at this? Well, yes, and because the, the, regu the regulations do provide for changes according to the land use plan. And, of course, lenders are on notice of that. But the, if I could just respond to this, this point about the land use plans, the Secretary determined and explained in the rulemaking process that it was his judgment that the, that the use of land use plans and other requirements of these 1995 regulations that require changes to be based on increased scientific knowledge will, in fact, enhance the stability of the livestock industry because people will know what they can depend upon in the plan and that there won't be a change. M Mr. Needler, uh, about a sentence after the language that you, you quoted to us about the discretion uh, of, the, of the Secretary. Uh, in fact, it's the, uh, the next sentence. It says, during periods of range depletion due to severe drought or other national ca natural causes or in case of a general epidemic of disease during the life of the permit, the Secretary of the Interior is hereby authorized in his discretion to remit, reduce, refund in whole or in part or authorize postponement of payment of grazing fees. Now, do you think that the Secretary's discretion is just general in the part you read? Right. Uh I, I do, because this has to do with the reduction of fees, not the, not, not the direction to reduce grazing. And if you look at in the preceding sentence, I only got to the clause that talked about uh, renewal of permits in the discretion of the Secretary. The, the latter part of that sentence says, who shall specify from time to time numbers of stock and seasons of use? It says from time to time, not once and for all time. 
The idea was that this is a dynamic situation, and the Secretary could change the amount of livestock permitted. Suspended use was an administrative but, measure. But do you think do you think it suggested the Secretary could simply suspend uh, in gross ra- rather than uh, case by case? Uh, I, I, th- I think it did. I mean, for, for example, Section 7 of the Taylor Grazing Act, which is not reproduced in the appendix but was enact- enacted or revised in 1936, allowed the Secretary to, to determine that lands that were put in a grazing district were, in fact, more suitable for any other purpose besides grazing and to remove, remove them from grazing. If those lands happened to be on an allotment that that's an individual had a permit for, the, the Act itself contemplates that those lands could be removed from grazing. Now, and if I could uh, please respond to Justice O'Connor's point about the adequately safeguard, because that's, that sentence, there are a number of words in that sentence that are, I think, important to focus on. The first thing is it does not say grazing preferences shall be adequately safeguarded. It says grazing privileges shall be adequately safeguarded. The grazing privilege is what the permit gives you. It isn't some antecedent interest. It's the, the, the privilege to graze on the public lands is what the permit gives you. So what this means is during the term of the permit, the privilege that the permit gives you will be adequately safeguarded. Most fundamentally, you have, and this was a, a central purpose of the Taylor Grazing Act, if you get a permit, you have a right to graze there and to exclude others. The, the privileges that you get to graze on the public domain are an important right, and cattle ranchers have grown up on that, but it is primarily a privilege to exclude others. And the, and the Secretary. The Secretary can no more... Uh, well, there also I'll, are limitations on, on the denial of renewal of a permit yes. to a permittee who's uh, obeying the rules of the Secretary. Right. Uh, and this, this sentence, by the way, it's not clear that it was intended to do anything more than, that, than to um, suggest to the Secretary that in the initial apportionment of the domain in 1934, the Secretary should give weight to what had gone before. But to the extent it has any, any continuing force, it has the one I mentioned, and it also has the effect that the Secretary, as you pointed out, Justice O'Connor, cannot simply uh, go, on, go on the land or, re, or revoke a permit without uh, without following the process. So the permittee is protected. I don't know that this w- comes from you, the adequate Would system. you explain to me what Section 302 of the Federal Land Policy and Management Act means when it says the Secretary shall manage the public lands under principles of multiple use and sustained use, uh, yield in accordance with the land use plans, except that where a tract of such public land has been dedicated to specific uses according to any other provisions of law, it will be managed in accordance with such law. What are those uh, dedications to other specific could be, uses? Could, could be that be for grazing? No, I, I think it could not be. There, there could be specific statutes. I think that the principal reason is, uh, for example, the, the pr- provision of FLIPMA that deals with permits. There's a whole section of FLIPMA that deals with grazing permits. Uh, 1752. And uh, if one looks at uh, — if you look at page 114A of the petition appendix — Well, then that is — is grazing a specific use and a, another law, specifically Taylor Grazing Act? I didn't understand how to interpret that. Well, it, it, it is — it is clear that Congress intended to bring grazing under the — under the multiple-use um, requirements of FLIPMA. And the, the regulations promulgated by the Secretary of the Interior — in 1978, right after FLIPMA, the same set of regulations that, that petitioners wish we would go back to, made clear the Secretary's understanding that FLIPMA required uh, uh, grazing to be, to be regulated. And if you look on uh, subsection C on page 114A, where it talks about uh, first priority for the renewal of an existing permit, so it's talking about grazing that is already occurring, it says, uh, so long as the lands for which the permit is issued remain available for domestic livestock grazing in accordance with land use plans prepared pr- pursuant to Section 1712. So it, it, it's clear that if it wasn't clear before that the Taylor Grazing Act was not just a grazing statute but also a multiple-use statute, these provisions of FLIPMA make clear. And, in fact, this section also makes clear that there is certainly no statutory right to a permanent entitlement to the amount of grazing that may have been adjudicated many years ago when the range was originally being apportioned under very different circumstances. Because it says that even the right of renewal of a permit, something that a person has a preference to, uh, 
is present after FLIPMA, only if the Secretary chooses to make the lands available for grazing, the permittee is in compliance with the rules and regulations and terms and conditions, and he accepts the new terms and conditions of the new permit, therefore once again making clear that the Secretary of the Interior has the authority to prescribe the terms and conditions for, for, uh, for grazing on the, on the public lands. Mr. Needler, what has the Secretary actually done uh, with respect to land use land use plans of, uh, following the enactment of this law? Or is uh, it, has it been in suspense because of the litigation? No, as we, as we, uh, the, the land use plan requirement came into effect in 1978, and as we point out in our brief, all grazing uh, uh, covered, by, covered by the Taylor Grazing Act is now covered by land use plans, either the prior what were called framework plans or the new resource management plans. And petitioners have, have still not shown anything to this Court to suggest that that land use man- uh, land use management process, which was, des- which was designed to instill stability uh, in the areas covered by those plans, has, has uh, failed to uh, take into account existing grazing. And as we also point out in our brief, the Taylor Grazing Act, and, excuse me, the FLIPMA, and implementing regulations uh, refer to uh, existing uses of the range, the dependence of local properties and private property and local communities on the range. So the land use planning process, which also has broad public participation and allows for grazing permittees to participate in the planning process and to appeal, uh, affords uh, ranchers as, in, as others who have at stake in the use of the public domain. It assures them uh, um, protection uh, for their interests. If, if I could um, also point out that in the rulemaking, in response to your question, Justice Breyer, I realize it hasn't been challenged on a failure to articulate, but it, at pages 9921 to 9923 of 60 Federal Register and the proposed notice at 59 Federal Register at 9928 explain the Secretary's reasons for what he explained was essentially a change in terminology between the permitted, the, per, the new definition of permitted use, which, which corresponds to sentence four of the Taylor Grazing Act, dealing with the numbers of livestock from time to time, separating that from preference, which is governed by section, sentence three of section three of the Taylor Grazing Act, which talks about who among uh, potential grazers would have a priority. That doesn't give grazers, either individually or as a class, a preference over, uh, over non-grazing use uh, of, of the forage. And as I say, increases and decreases in new forage that becomes available for grazing are handled in essentially the same way, essentially the same priorities. Uh, Is there anything in the new regulations, though, that links permitted use by uh, grazers to either the grazing preference or any other measure of numbers needed by the permit holders to support an economically viable um, grazing unit in combination with their own base properties and water, which is what the Taylor Grazing Act contemplated. Well, the, the, the current — I'm sorry, the, 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 is there anything in the current regulations that yes, ties it to that preference? links those. The, 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 the permitted use, the, the regulations provide the permitted use must be stated in the number of AUMs, must be stated in the permit, and is attached to the base property. Just as in the in, just as in the prior situation, preference and, and the AUMs, as it w- they were stated under preference, were attached to the base property. Um, the, the, your reference to sentence three of the Taylor Grazing Act as, a, as may be necessary again was was a way of apportioning up the the uh, t- the land at the time the act went into effect. But uh, it's important to notice that the renewal permit provision of FLIPMA uh, makes it clear that there, is, that there is not an ongoing entitlement to a certain amount of public rangeland in order to satisfy whatever the base property's uh, ranching requirements are, because all there is is a preference to renewal of the permit for a p- particular allotment. But the, but the land use planning process or other, other de- uh, ecological determinations may conclude that the only that that particular allotment can only sustain 50 percent of the grazing that it previously allowed. That may be less than the, of less public land than would be necessary to sustain the full ranch on the base property. But nothing in, nothing in the Taylor Grazing Act and certainly nothing after FLIPMA would, would allow a rancher to say, I have a right to oust other uses of the land or a, a, a right to allow grazing in a way that might damage uh, the land in order to be able to support my base property. Again, this is just an apportionment among ranchers to the extent the Secretary allows grazing uh, to occur on the public domain. With respect to the adequately safeguarded, I wanted to make two other points about that. 
Uh, it says, uh, to the extent consistent with the purposes of the Act, which, as I mentioned elsewhere, talk about orderly use and prevent destruction of, of uh, range resources. Um, so that, that is an important limitation. It also says grazing privileges recognized and acknowledged. Whatever grazing privileges a rancher gets under a permit are automatically conditioned by the provisions of the Taylor Grazing Act itself and regulations that allow the Secretary to reduce grazing, to modify the use of the land, and to protect the environment. Um, there haven't been any questions about the other two regulations that are at issue here. Uh, on the, on the uh, range improvements, we think that uh, there the Secretary is just exercising the authority that any landlord or any landowner would have uh, to work out by agreement in advance what will be the disposition of uh, improvements that are added to the land. That, that simplifies it. There's no need to refer to arcane uh, rules of fixtures under property law. The Secretary has simply specified in advance uh, what the ownership of improvements uh, will be, which greatly simplifies the administration of what are, after all, public lands, uh, so that there will not be private uh, stakeholdings, private fixtures on public lands. Uh, and after all, if they were fixtures, the only right would be to remove them. And uh, you certainly couldn't remove a well, probably, that had been constructed by a prior owner. It wouldn't make sense to renew fences. And so what, what has happened is there's provisions for compensation rather than the removal of the fixtures. Thank you, Mr. Needler. Mr. Bishop, you have four minutes remaining. I, I just don't see the broad discretion in the TGA that Mr. Needler does. Preference was adjudicated according to what was necessary for the proper use of the base property. And the statute says that, that the privileges, including that adjudicated amount of forage, have to be adequately safeguarded. The reason that this is a facial challenge is that the 1995 regulations define permitted use by reference to a land use plan and without any reference whatsoever to the preference amount adjudicated as necessary. The needs of the base property have entirely disappeared. The Secretary can set the permitted use without any reference to those needs. But I Land think you conceded that as far as the active use is concerned, there's no different situation today than there was under the prior regulations that well, — well, I, I don't really concede that. It may be that we have the same active use today as tomorrow, the day before and the day after the, the regulations. What we don't have is that if the next day there is a, 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 an increase in the amount of forage available on the range, we have no claim whatsoever to that based on the preference. The permitted use now controls, and because the land use plan... Yeah, the, but you, do I understand correctly that, the, that what you're complaining about is the absence of this suspended use? But the, you're not complaining about what the Secretary did as far as active use is concerned. Uh, that, that's right. I mean, active use is varied uh, according to the condition of the range. What we are complaining about is the loss of a claim to more active use based on our preference. And it's not the land use plan. The land use plan referred to in the, the, uh, the permit, that, uh, Mr. Needler suggests that that has changed everything. Land use planning for sustained uh, yield and multiple use started in 19. 64, and for years, land use planning and the preference amount uh, continued side by side. So they say in there, they, they concede that this land use planning principle might interfere sometimes with your suspended paper rights. But then they say, where it's major, you're going to have to go back and redo the whole plan. They obviously foresee it won't happen very often, if at all. So why isn't it satisfactory to you that if there's some big major change in some particular land use plan, which they don't foresee, you challenge that? Because the change isn't taking place at the land use planning level. Land use planning occurs at a general level. It does not allocate the privileges to individuals on the allotment. It's the grazing preference. It's the, uh, the grazing regulations that do that. Uh, now, it used to be that the grazing regulations uh, had a... Had a had a substantive basis to them, the amount of forage necessary to the proper use of the land as adjudicated. That's gone. There is no standard now in the regulations as required by the TGA, and there is no standard in the land use plan. There are no standards at all. There are no claims that we have to additional forage based on the needs of our property. And for the, the Solicitor General to say that we'll be okay, that our, that, our, um, uh, that our suspended use will be recognized is frankly ridiculous, because in the uh, in the uh, explanation of the final rules, he says that um, 
the Secretary will not allow permittees to continue to carry suspended use because that suggests that they'll be able to get that suspended use back as active use. That is exactly what the adequately safeguard language of the TGA requires and what we have now been deprived of. Uh, it's also anachronistic for the Secretary to suggest that the TGA was a multiple-use uh, statute. It was not a multiple-use statute. It was all about grazing. It was, uh, it was uh, uh, passed at the behest of the livestock industry uh, because they were in such deep trouble. And each of the purposes stated in the, uh, uh, in the statute for improving the condition of the, of the range uh, is intended to improve the financial condition of the livestock industry in the long term. And all of that has now been lost. All of our protections, all of our safeguards reflected in the regulations prior to 1995 um, <clears throat> have now uh, completely disappeared. Uh, and, it's not the, uh, and it's not the land use plan that's responsible for that. It's a permitted use uh, definition that now writes uh, adjudicated forage completely out of existence. Thank, Thank you. you, Mr. Bishop. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until Monday next at 10 o'clock.